Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, the Marxist voice of labor and youth. We live in a revolutionary epoch. The crisis of the capitalist system is creating political polarization and instability in every single country, as millions of people look for a way out. The product of this is unprecedented social upheaval and yes, revolution. Now we firmly believe that the crisis of capitalism is creating the conditions for socialist revolution. Yes, even in Canada. The point of this podcast is to provide a Marxist analysis of what Trotsky described as the molecular process of socialist revolution. This week in the Canadian Revolution, we are going to talk about Taiwan. Uh, as most of you probably know, last week, I believe it was last Tuesday, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, visited Taiwan. Uh, and this has caused a lot of uproar. Um, there's been saber rattling over this question from the U.S. government and the Chinese government. Um, and we're going to today discuss why that is and get into the question and explain a internationalist Marxist approach on the question of Taiwan. Uh, so with me today, I have Daniel Morley, uh, who is an activist with the International Marxist Tendency in Britain, and he writes on China. He has written quite a bit on China for In Defense of Marxism, uh, our international website, Marxist.com. And so he is going to uh, help us get to the bottom of this question today. Uh, welcome, Daniel. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess why don't we just start off here and uh, if you could help us understand, I think a lot of people saw have seen this in the news and maybe people who haven't been following it are wondering, why is this such a big deal? There's just Nancy Pelosi just visited Taiwan and all of a sudden there's this huge, huge argument and huge uproar over it. So um, I don't know. Yeah. Why is this? Why is this such a big deal? Why is this ca causing such a, a, a problem? Well, hi. Uh, yeah. I mean, clearly this is a huge deal because what is what this is really about is a geopolitical struggle between the two greatest imperialist powers on earth, which is clearly the United States and the rising imperialist power of China. And I think that's pretty clear why that would be a big deal. Uh, you only have to look at events in Ukraine to see the significance of that. But I think this would be even more significant if it were to go down that path. And um, it signifies something uh, very profound about the state of the world, which is that the we're at an imperialist dead end, really. That is to say that capitalism has had a period of stability and of growth under American domination. And of course, that had all kinds of injustices uh, and invasions of many different countries. But in general, you would say it was uh, the post-war era was a, a period of relative uh, peace and growth for capitalism. But clearly that has come to a, an end now. Uh, the Ukraine war is obviously proof of that. Uh, and this is a, a, an ominous sign uh, of that having come to an end. And I think that with that, first of all, that signifies the, the complete impasse of capitalism. But capitalism can't develop the world economy really anymore in any significant way and uh, it cannot take humanity forwards in fact it is stagnating is in fact it's pulling human society backwards and it's threatening peace and stability and of course the environment as well and uh, as again we can see very clearly with the conflict in Ukraine that these kinds of imperialist struggles are not only very horrible in themselves for the participants, uh, but they also bring about, uh, they, are, they are caused by, but also in turn bring about a profound economic crisis uh, with, you know, rising 
uh, prices through inflation because of the shortages that such a situation brings about, uh, wars, or even just the protectionism that has already been going on for a long time. But this is a kind of ramping up of that kind of situation. That, that this breakdown of world relations and this this turning of everything into a, a struggle for spheres of influence between this or that power saps confidence for investment. It, it you know it makes everything uncertain from a capitalist point of view, and it blo- blocks off some trade routes. And that leads to stagnation and an economic crisis even, which of course in turn then would only further exacerbate the imperialist conflicts because of course if, if the economy is shrinking, then the different powers are going to have their own problems and they're going to seek to impose their problems onto the other power rather than deal with them themselves. So it basically signifies that a complete historical you know, the, we, we've entered into a new historical epoch, and that is an epoch of turbulence, instability, and it, it signifies the dead end of capitalism, basically. Yeah, I think that. Thanks a lot, Daniel. I think that helps to situate what's happening within the global context, which is quite clear, not just from Ukraine, but even prior to that, the whole series of a chain of events showed the direction uh, at which things were headed. Um, Yeah, I wondered, uh, so we already know, I mean, most people will be very familiar with the, what the US government has been saying on this and what they've been doing, obviously, (laughs) they're, um, they're the ones provoking this, you know, stirring things up a bit. But what? How how has the Chinese government responded to this? What what have what has their response uh, been to um, Pelosi visiting and, and these sort of provocations? Yeah, I mean, they have reacted in a very uh, aggressive manner, basically conducting which everybody knew, and it was deliberately uh, provoked by Pelosi. Uh, so it's not at all surprising. Uh, but they, you know, they've been conducting very extensive military drills and firing missiles uh, over Taiwan, even to the extent they're effectively blockade, blockading Taiwan, and, and they're essentially demonstrating their ability to uh, blockade the island. Uh, and essentially, they're trying to say, "Look, your America couldn't rescue you if we wanted to invade you." Essentially, uh, but they're, you know, what they're also doing politically. Uh, is to use this to distract attention at home from all of the problems that are there. And there's a lot of problems developing in the Chinese economy. You know, financial crisis basically is is emerging, uh, housing crisis linked to that. And, uh, you know, there's been signs of, of growing discontent. So this is a kind of ideal situation for them in that respect because it allows them to distract attention, allows them to sort of rally the Chinese people around them or at least try to do that uh, and to sort of, you know, with the the great enemy of of, of America, of Western imperialism, which has humiliated them in the past. Uh, So they're basically using it to promote nationalism, chauvinism, um and using you know the, the bogeyman of the United States. And of course, it's entirely correct what they say about the United States, but they're saying it for their own reasons. In other words, uh, they are they don't they're not interested in the the um the prosperity and the security of the Chinese people. They're interested in their own profits and their own power. Um, and they're they're all the more able, but they're all the more able to do that if they can present to the Chinese people the, um, you know, the threat of the United States, which is meddling in their backyard essentially. Um, so yeah, that's been their response really to promote their own nationalistic uh, ideology, their own hysteria, and to distract attention from problems at home. Okay, so yeah, we have two of the biggest, the two biggest world imperialist powers uh, clashing over Taiwan. Um, And yeah, using their own arguments uh, uh, to justify their actions. Um, uh, But I guess (laughs) this, this all can be, as I've stated already, quite confusing to people because what's the big deal, you know? Uh, isn't Taiwan like you know why why is, why is this such a big deal here? Um, so I guess to help us understand like how we got here, I guess uh, we should maybe do a little bit of history of like what is <laughs> what is Taiwan what like modern Taiwan and like 
why has this sort of been a political sticking point, an awkward sort of political sticking point, both for China and the U.S.? And there's been an uneasy uh, sort of agreement or agree to disagree on Taiwan for a long period of time. And that, that, you know, maybe you can help us explain this of like how that happened. And then that helps us explain like why, what Pelosi's doing and even what Donald Trump had some of his statements previously were quite inflammatory in this regard because it's um, breaking with tradition. Uh, but yeah, do, do, can you say a few words a little bit about sure. yeah how we, how we got here? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a weird uh, situation. Doesn't really. There's not really many other parallels uh, in world relations. Some people may have even noticed that when when Taiwan competes in the Olympics or other things like that, it takes the name of Chinese Taipei. People probably see that. And think, what on earth is Chinese Taipei? And what it means is Taiwan. But why, why don't they just call themselves Taiwan? And most people think of Taiwan as it's just a country, isn't it? It's got, it's got its own elections, its own state, and it's just it's a country. Um, so it does all seem very peculiar, this sort of very intense sensitivity over the name and uh, how we talk about it. Uh, and the reason for that is, um, well, it goes back to, obviously, it's historical. And um, it's also a kind of an ambiguity it's kind of mirrored on both sides. So both sides have an interest in, in maintaining this kind of weird state of affairs. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Now, there's a Taiwan has a complicated history, which I, won't, I don't have to, probably time to go into in terms of like, is it and was it part of China? Uh, but it certainly was part of China at a period of time um, for a couple of hundred years. Um, but but in what, what happened is that in the Chinese Revolution, and this is really the key event. The Chinese Revolution changed everything, and, and I think that that is really what uh, you know what is so decisive, also for people, for, for for Taiwanese nationalists, for example. In the in the Chinese Revolution in 1949, when Taiwan was, or pr- prior to that, Taiwan was simply part of China. Uh, in that revolution, the the, the old regime, which was in the process of being overthrown, it fled. Basically, the, the old regime and certain members of the old ruling class, of the capitalist class, fled to Taiwan. And they were never, although they were defeated militarily across the rest of China, they were never defeated in Taiwan. It was never invaded, for example, and defeated. So they, they essentially kind of set up shop. They kind of removed their own, re- they took their own regime, their own capital into Taiwan. And uh, I could go into the history of that. I, I don't have time to, but it was what the regime they set up was a very brutal and unpleasant one. Um, but anyway, that's the reason that it's a separate country. Um, and because it was founded on that basis, it was founded as an anti-communist, as a, as a virulently anti-communist and, and therefore kind of pro-American regime. Then it was part of the American sphere of influence entirely. And of course, therefore, the insistence that Taiwan is part of China historically was part of the kind of, a, you know, a, a claim you know, revolutionary claim, basically, that, uh, you know, that regime was a a deeply reactionary regime that oppressed not only the people in Taiwan, but prior to that, all of China. Um, And therefore, on a revolutionary basis, should be reunited with China. That was how people saw it, right? But obviously, a lot has changed since then, both within China and within Taiwan. But the reason that this kind of weird ambiguity is kept is because... (laughs) Um, not only does the regime in mainland China obviously always have the position, there's always had the position, but it's a breakaway province, uh, it's illegitimate, it's a reactionary regime, and it needs to be made, you know, returned to, to, to China, which is what it really is. That's their position. But weirdly, the position of the regime in Taiwan is kind of the same, but the mirror image of that, which is what their position was, uh, uh, is what is called the One China policy, which is... Um, 
yes, Taiwan, they agree, Taiwan is part of China. But the, the legitimate government for China is actually our government in Taiwan. And we're just sort of in exile, essentially, right? And, and so we also want to reunify China, and we want the, the, the capital to be in Beijing or somewhere in the mainland, but it will be under our control, um, essentially, was, was their position. And that allowed both sides to agree that... Um, uh, to to agree that Taiwan was not independent, essentially, which of course pleased in different ways both sides. Um, and then what happened a bit later on is that because America wanted to peel the Chinese regime away from that of of the USSR uh, to undermine the USSR, uh, and obviously, and then of course after that, because China developed economically and in a capitalist way and became linked very closely to the American economy. For those reasons, America essentially agreed to change its position and to recognize the Chinese regime, the Communist Party regime in Beijing, uh, to recognize that and not the Taiwan regime. And that's also why you have, you know, competing as Chinese Taipei, not obviously not a key question, but basically loads of countries, because they want to deal with China, because China is such a huge economy, it's very important, uh, they agree to recognize Taiwan. Basically, no countries in the world recognize Taiwan formally, you know, and there aren't embassies, for example, the, the embassies aren't called uh, that and uh, you know the, the American embassy in, in Taiwan is also not called the American embassy because that would be to pit, that would really annoy China because it would admit that it was not a part of China. Um, so that's why it's this this kind of strange sensitivity over the name and 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 uh, and uh, by Pelosi visiting uh, Taiwan is highly controversial. It's hardly ever happened before, um, and. Um, there's a few other little things like that the America, America has done recently. That's controversial because it is breaking with that um, ambiguity. They call it strategic ambiguity. And the US has tried to sort of basically keep the status quo um, because it's worked for them. So basically the US up until now tended to have a position of saying, yeah, we'll, we won't provoke China. So we'll say that China, that we'll recognize the Chinese regime and not the Taiwanese. Although, of course, they're very close to the Taiwanese regime and always have been, but they won't say that. And they will arm it. Their policy was to arm it heavily, to give it the weapons that it needed to defend itself, but not say that that was what they were doing. And specifically, not to say that they would come to its defence. But not say they wouldn't come to its defence either, because they also don't want to give China the excuse to invade. Because obviously, if they guaranteed they wouldn't defend Taiwan, then maybe China would, would invade it, which they don't want. They want to keep Taiwan as a bastion of American and capitalist... Well, well China is now capitalist, but in the past wasn't. But certainly they want to keep it as a, a bastion of American influence, so they, despite recognizing formally Beijing, they have, of course, in practice, Taiwan has always been more of its ally. Um, there was a period when that was lessened. In other words, when Chinese capitalism was booming, but it was very far from being a threat to the United States. And the United States was actually pretty close to China, and they had the idea that it would maybe reform into liberal democracy and become, a, 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 you know, under America's sphere of influence. Um, so there was a time when it it did. Taiwan basically was not that important to America, but clearly that's changed. Um, uh, you know, clearly America is now at loggerheads with China, to say the least, and therefore Taiwan has become very important as as, as a sort of American holdout. Um, so yes, that's that's why for that reason, that's also why, uh, and the general breakdown of relations between the US and China, and the rise of nationalism within America and protectionism, which Trump is the clearest expression of, but far from the only one. And the Democrats essentially have the exact same policy, hence Pelosi doing this. Their position is essentially provocative um, because they want to hem in China. They don't want to, the status quo anymore because the status quo, if that continues for too long, China might supplant the US. So they're trying to actually um, isolate China. Um, and as we saw with, with, with things like the Huawei policy as well, they're trying to undermine it. Um, and that's really what this is part and parcel of. So that's why it's so controversial, because it's it breaks with that precedent. It signifies a breakdown in world relations. And of course, it antagonizes China, which is a very, very powerful uh, regime. So 
uh, yeah, um, I mean, there's a couple of other things I could say about Taiwanese nationalism. I don't know if, if you want me to go into that as well. Um, you know, if we have time to talk about that, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, well, maybe we could talk about that uh, a little bit later, I suppose. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, that's this is all extremely helpful to describe a the situation because when you understand this tenuous sort of a non-agreement or agreement or whatever you want to call it about Taiwan uh, and how it's developed and why, then you understand why Nancy Pelosi's visit was so inflammatory and provocative. Um, something so seemingly just a non-issue is an issue, you know, that why would visiting, visiting uh, Taiwan be such an issue, but it is because of what's happening. And that does connect back to the other point that we're saying of like, why this is a big deal. It's because of the crisis of the capitalist system, the decline of us imperialism, the rise of China as a capitalist power. This is upsetting all of the relations, the sort of, it's upsetting all of the normal spheres of influence of imperialism and all of the deals that already existed. Um, you see this with the Ukraine, you see this with many things. Um, and we will, I think it's a sign of things to come. We're going to see more little conflicts like this. And sometimes they can erupt into big, bigger conflicts or direct military conflicts, um, as we are seeing with the Ukraine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, moving on, I think I would like to take a quick break before we get into, I guess, the Marxist position on this. Um, so, yeah, just a quick commercial break. Um, you are listening to This Week in the Canadian Revolution. This is a podcast put on by Fightback, uh, the Canadian section of the International Marxist Tendency. Uh, we uh, are fighting for a socialist solution to the crisis of capitalism in Canada. Uh, we have and. In order to help us do that, we have publications. So in addition to this podcast, we also have two websites, uh, marxist.ca uh, in English and marxist.qc.ca in French. Um, and uh, we also have papers, uh, journals, basically, that you can subscribe to. Uh, the English, our English paper, Fight Back, comes out once every two weeks. Uh, and this week, we had nine new subscribers in the past week. So thank you to Finn, Guillermo, Bruno, Nathan, Eliane, Anne-Marie, Jahangir, Natalia, and David. Thank you very much, comrades, friends, supporters. Um, this is really helping us to uh, increase our subscriber base and get a Marxist analysis out to uh, more people in Canada. Uh, and then we have also four subscribers to La Riposte Socialiste. That's our, our, our French publication, Aaron, Serge, Pierre James, and Jose. So thank you very much, comrades. And I encourage everyone listening to this podcast, if you want to support us and you, you, you like the analysis that you're hearing and you want to get a Marxist analysis delivered right to your door, please go to our websites and get your, uh, get your subscription. Um, yeah, so let's get back into it with Daniel Morley here. Um, we're talking about Taiwan. We're talking about the imperialist conflict over Taiwan. Um, I guess I'm in Canada, um, and uh, there's a lot of people in Canada, and definitely a lot of people in America that sort of sometimes believe the uh, imperialist propaganda from the, the U.S. government, Pelosi and Biden and others, and it's a lot of stuff about human rights and China and um, the plight of the Taiwanese people. <laughs> Things like this. Uh, the late, the before this, it was all about the Uyghurs. The Canadian government was making big, big noise about the plight of the Uyghurs. Uh, when it's it was, it's just quite laughable. Uh, indigenous people in Canada don't, in a lot of places, don't have clean drinking water. There's this, just a history of of genocide and colonization, and they're all of a sudden upset about the Uyghurs in China. But yeah, I guess that leads on to the question of like, does the U.S. government actually care about Taiwan? Like, and, and then if not, uh, which maybe I've already answered that, <laughs> um, what is motivating them to do this? Like, is there specific interest behind what they're doing? Uh, I don't know, Daniel, you want to come in on this? 
Yeah, uh, of course, I don't think that they care about the people of Taiwan. The US is is a capitalist regime, and we know what capitalist regimes are motivated by its profit, its influence. And um, the U- US has had plenty of opportunities to demonstrate uh, its attitude towards the rights uh, of of people around the world. And it, US imperialism is notorious <laughs> for invasion uh, for back for for propping up uh, dictatorships etc so i don't think we can take that idea seriously at all uh, and also actually even it, it's not just that oh they're defending taiwan and the taiwanese people but it's for the wrong reasons but actually they're not defending the taiwanese people even for the wrong reasons because what they're doing is they're they're actually making the situation for Taiwanese people very dangerous, uh, and it's completely unprovoked. Pelosi's visit uh, is essentially just for her own career. It's, it's it's to promote. I mean, it's a section of the ruling class that is U.S. ruling class, which is belligerent and is backing her. But it's also been done, I think, by her just to to increase her chances of re-election. Which how you know how vain and and selfish is that? And um, yeah, there's there's nothing else provoking it. And in doing so, I mean, you know, if you were Taiwanese right now, you'd probably be quite scared. And you've seen what's happened in Ukraine. And now you have Pelosi coming, you didn't ask her to come. And now you've got missile drills and everything going on all around you. And you're thinking there's a serious chance that we could, we could be invaded. Uh, many of us could die. You know, that's what they're thinking. So that how on earth is that the actions of a regime which is genuinely concerned about the conditions of the Taiwanese people? So, yeah, I think that answers that. But what they are concerned about, because they're not doing any of this for no reason, they're concerned about Taiwan, Taiwan in the sense that they're concerned about their own sphere of influence. And they're concerned about the economic importance of and the technological importance of, of Taiwan as well, because... It's a developed economy and particularly is quite advanced in certain fields, especially as you may be aware with semiconductors. The world's most advanced processes in computing are are made pretty much exclusively in Taiwan. Obviously, there are lots of other processes made in many other countries, including China, but they are always behind the ones that are made in Taiwan. And that, that's just one company. Uh, and I think it's called TSMC. And basically, of course, it's a Taiwanese company, not an American, but that's infinitely preferable to it being a Chinese company. America's in, in, in its struggle with China, one of the absolutely key questions is this, because China has caught up, clearly it's caught up economically and technologically, right? Its economy is still smaller than America's, but it's not that much smaller technologically it is caught up in a lot of ways uh, and it has some some very advanced factories with regards to ai and robotics you know they, it may even in some fields be have more advanced technology than the united states but there's one field in which it is not uh, has not caught up and is really lagging behind and it's, it happens to be pretty much the key question which is semiconductors microprocessors which of course are in everything and it's trying to catch up but it's struggling to do so um so it's very important to the united states that that remains the case and the more they can kind of drag taiwan into their sphere of influence because of course it is but it's it's not completely it's obviously it trades enormously with china and there's there's large sections of the Taiwanese ruling class that are more interested in, in being allied with China than America, for that reason. So they are trying, the more they can really kind of um, lock it into their sphere of influence economically and politically, um, that would be a huge uh, you know huge card for them in their struggle with China. So in that respect, they care they care deeply. But unfortunately, it's, it's not for humanitarian reasons at all. Okay, yeah, so that helps address some of the more direct economic interests uh, for U.S. imperialism and why they're doing this. Uh, yeah, the semiconductors thing, I mean, I think a lot of people will recall that. Um, I mean, it's still a bit of an issue, but it definitely was 
sparked off a bit by COVID, the economic crisis in COVID in 2020. Um, there was this massive problem, uh, the huge, huge increase in price in semiconductors. And yes, as you said, Taiwan has pretty much got a virtual monopoly on all the, 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 the best ones. Um, so yeah, this is a key question for capitalism, for technology, for the development of the productive forces in general. Um, and yeah, I think U.S. imperialism can't let that fall into the hands of China. Um, uh, so, yeah, um, you said that you had some other things to say about Taiwanese nationalism or or whatnot. So I, I have a question here about, you know, quite often I hear on the left in Canada, specifically usually coming from, well, quite a lot of left wing people, but specifically coming from the more Stalinist left about like Taiwan is part of China. It always has been. Um, I guess that sort of links into the question of Taiwanese nationalism. Um, I don't know. Is this how do you how do you want to address this? Do you just want to talk about the Taiwanese nationalist stuff or? Sure. Yeah. Well, obviously, Marxists are not nationalists. We're internationalists. So for us, the we don't get caught up in trying to determine exactly what nation a particular region or, or, or supposed nationality belongs to or whether it is a real nationality um, and trying to determine, oh, but that language, did that language originate there? And is it a different language or is it a dialect or whatever? That's that's essentially irrelevant because we're not in, we don't fight for nationalism. <laughs> we don't fight for any nation's uh you know, existence in it. So like, that's not our goal, right? Of course, national sentiment exists and is can be an absolutely decisive factor in events. And it, of course, interacts with class consciousness and the development and possible derailing of revolution. So it's not to say that we don't care about it. It's hugely important, but it's not we don't look at it as if that's the goal or as if that's 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 legitimate in itself right and therefore all that really matters is to understand is there a national sentiment in a particular place uh, you know and it would be absurd to then say well there clearly is i mean to think that there isn't a national sentiment in taiwan would be uh, you know ridiculous there clearly is a very strong national sentiment that is in other words a sense that people belong to taiwan and not china that is clearly there and you can't deny that whether or not that really is you know reflects the reality of the history of taiwan is, is not the point that's there and that's going to affect the class struggle it's going to affect what taiwanese working class people and also what chinese working class people uh do uh, and 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 therefore to the way in which marxists must fight for class consciousness and for the development of the revolution uh, in taiwan or in mainland china would have to take that into account basically you know um but what we can say is is that the us is promoting the Taiwanese national question for its own ends. And uh, we've already discussed that it's not sincere in doing that. Uh, and I think I've, I've explained, you know, that, that Pelosi's visit is, you know, worsening really the livelihoods and the security of Taiwanese people. So it's, we can see in, in which, and this has always been the case, that the national question of small countries or small would-be countries, if you like, small nationalities, has always been small change in the machinations of imperialist powers. In other words, they try, basically what they do, the basic formula is that the one imperialist power tries to promote the national feeling um, of a nation that is within the sphere of influence or within the, the territory of an opposing imperialist power. Because of course, if that if that country were to break away or if there were to be a struggle, that obviously undermines their enemy. Uh, and similarly, that imperialist power would always try to deny the national question within their own territory. That would try and say it's not a real thing. It doesn't, there's no real nation here. Um, and uh, it's just being promoted by our enemies, essentially. That's always what they say, right? And that's clearly what America is doing here. It's found this question that's promoting it because it serves its interest. Um, and also China has, this is also 
you know, China now is very insistent that it is that Taiwan is part of China, and 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 I think it has been pretty much all the time ever since 1949. But it has become much more insistent upon that in the recent period, because of course it affects because it's become an imperialist power. Essentially, it is now a very powerful imperialist power struggling with America. It's strong enough now to stand up to America and and to actually be a threat to the United States. And therefore, of course, the fact that an island just off its coast, which is historically has been part of China, which speaks Chinese or, you know, perhaps a dialect of Chinese, but it speaks very related language. um, It's obviously would would want to break that country away from the sphere of influence of its competitor and put it into its sphere of influence or make it part of itself, uh, in other words. So it has become a key question for China's ability to basically control its surrounding territory and to peel away uh, allies from the United States and then have them in its sphere of influence. That is what it is doing. And so it is, of course, promoting Chinese nationalism and is insisting that Taiwan is just part of China, um, etc. And of course, this w- won't go away because the struggle between China and the United States cannot be resolved on a capitalist basis. Um, <clears throat> and the last thing I would say is that Regarding Taiwanese nationalism and the, the, the sentiments of, or, or not the sentiments, but the the the, um, the politicians in Taiwan who promote Taiwanese nationalism, right? Taiwan is in reality an independent country, right? Uh, it, it already, obviously, it's it's it's. I mean, yes, all these other countries, including America, basically are vague about that and sort of deny it and won't call it by its proper name, whatever. But it is an independent country. It has its own states. It has its own army, own ele- elections, etc., and it has been for for decades. It clearly is a, a different country. Whether you think that's right or wrong, it clearly is. <laughs> and um, and therefore, the people who are pushing Taiwanese nationalism, in other words, the people who are saying, and there are people on the left who say this. There are people who say there are Taiwanese sort of left nationalists who say that you know well, China is an imperialist oppressor and it's oppressing us, and therefore it's a fight for liberation. They sort of would couch it in a, in a in a sort of left wing way, and basically we've got to be independent. But what that actually doing is the opposite, because it is already independent. I mean, of course, it has very limited room for manoeuvre, but that's normal, really, for ca- small small nations under capitalism never have real independence. Obviously, they're always dominated by more powerful countries, by the economy, the need to, you know, to, to fit into the world economy, etc. Uh, but, of course, that, that's the case. But that's the case for every small country. Uh, but if it is as independent as it, as it could expect to be under capitalism. So what they're actually pushing for by saying that we must be formally independent, full formal independence, uh, and you know a member of the UN and you know etc. What they're really therefore pushing for is to be even more under the US sphere of influence, because to, to achieve those things, it would have to get, have absolute guarantees from the United States as against China, who, who if it, China's policy, by the way, is that if Taiwan formally declares independence, then it will invade it, you know? Um, and so obviously if that were to be done, then it would only be done with the guarantee that America would defend it, right? Because it would, otherwise they'd obviously get invaded by China. So. Um, what they're actually, by saying, oh, yes, Taiwanese independence, we must have that, what they're actually doing is just placing it under the US sphere of influence even more, which means, in other words, less independent. I mean, it is already under the US sphere of influence, of course, but it would just push it even more in that direction and it would worsen the lives of Taiwanese people. How is that in the interests of Taiwanese people? Uh, and similarly, of course, those who, who insist that, no, it doesn't exist, it's not a nation at all, it's just a reactionary breakaway thing and it must be reunified with China. Um, again, that would that just means placing it under Chinese domination, which is an imperialist capitalist regime. Uh, and, and it wants Taiwan to be in its own experience so, so that it can exploit it, essentially. Um, and, uh, and of course, there, there would be repercussions from the United States if that were to happen. We don't know if, if America would, it would be military consequences that America might back down. But it's certainly a possibility. So pushing for that is also clearly 
doesn't enhance uh, the livelihoods of, of the Taiwanese people or of the Chinese people, for that matter. Um, so it, it's, of course, we're internationalists. We don't look at it from the point of view of what its true nationality is anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really the, the what I would say on that question. Okay, well, that, that leads nicely into... You know, we've talked about what isn't the solution, or what isn't the way forward, or what is maybe a false so-called solution. Uh, but what, yeah, then we're Marxists. We obviously care about the situation. We don't want imperialist conflict. Um, and we, yeah, we want a solution to the problem. Um, so yeah, what would then the internationalist position be? Like, is there... A solution to the Taiwan question, and what would that look like? Uh, do you want to maybe touch on that, and then I can come in? Yeah, well, you know, if as I've already explained that there's no genuine independence and freedom for the Taiwanese people by declaring independence formally, but um, should there be a revolution in Taiwan? Should there be a revolution of the Taiwanese working class? What relation? then would it have towards America and towards China? Could you have socialism in Taiwan, essentially? Could, could, could it be achieved in, in its own independence? And of, of course, it, it could not. It is a small, I mean, it would be impossible to, to build socialism in, in a big country. Um, it certainly would be impossible to build it in a small country. Socialism can only be built on the highest uh, on and above the highest basis of capitalism, which is an international system now. It's a global economy. Uh, and uh, the, the productivity um, that is necessary for socialism to liberate people from, from poverty and from long working hours, that, that productivity can only be attained on an international basis. In other words, with, with the, 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 the global economy, basically. So you, you know, if, if Taiwan were isolated as a socialist country, obviously that wouldn't wouldn't uh, it wouldn't achieve socialism, and therefore the 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 working class activists and so socialists within Taiwan, what they must fight for first of all, obviously, their their main enemy is at home. I should I should have said that earlier. Really, that their 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 main slogan they have to start out with fighting against their own ruling class as any. Um, proletarian movement as any socialist movement in any country must do that's that's its first kind of enemy if you like uh, and therefore they have to, to to have they have to be opposed to that and opposed to u.s imperialism that has to be made clear um and i'll explain why in a moment i mean obviously partly because u.s imperialism is, is reactionary uh, but there's another reason why um, but it, anyway, they must fight on that. That must be their starting point. But they must also reach out to the Chinese working class with which, with whom they are indissolubly, you know, they are bound together, right? Um, and of course, a socialist revolution in Taiwan would be opposed, obviously, by the United States. It would also be opposed vociferously by the Chinese regime, which would be terrified of the example that it would set to its own working class, um, which, of course, you know, of course, huge numbers of Chinese people live in Taiwan and there's a huge amount of, they, they, it would be impossible for them to keep it a secret, right? So they'd be terrified of the consequences, the inspiration to rebellion, to overthrowing their own regime and to overthrowing capitalism because it is a capitalist regime. They'd be terrified of that example that it would set. Um, so they would intervene and they probably, you know, funnily enough, that both the United States and the China would actually then agree on something. They would both agree on the need to snuff out that revolution. Uh, and so the only ally that they could find, or the, at least the most important ally that they could find, would be the Chinese working class. And they would have to appeal to the Chinese working class. And this brings me on to why they must have an anti-US imperialist slogan as well. Because the Chinese working class would obviously be told that, oh, well, this is, uh, you know, these people hate you. They're trying to break away from China. You know, these are stooges of the, of the West, etc. cetera. Um, and of course, you know, the Chinese working class for very good reasons is anti-Western imperialists, you know, um, and they're right in, in thinking that. So that would, they, that would uh, basically, that, that line of argument could potentially be very effective. And if, if there was a movement in Taiwan 
but this movement did not make it very clear that they were opposed to American imperialism uh, and also sought the, the support and the solidarity of, of Chinese workers. If they didn't make that clear, then, then it'd be very easy for the Chinese regime to paint them um, in that way. And of course, I'm thinking of the movement in Hong Kong in particular that we had, which was not a revolution, certainly wasn't a successful revolution, but it was a mass movement. And like any mass movement at the beginning, there were socialist elements uh, of it. There were demands, some socialists, not many to be honest, but there was clearly a ten, uh, the possibility uh, of, of, of a more left-wing um, uh, development to that movement. But the leaders of it, were liberals and they pushed it in, a, in an overtly pro-US direction. Basically, they thought uh, that the, the easiest and the best route for success for Hong Kong uh, was simply to break away from China, not to change the social regime, not to have socialism or anything like that, keep capitalism, but just break away from China. China's the root of all liberal. And therefore, they must seek the protection and the help of the United States. And they put US flags and British flags on their demonstrations. And that, so that, that said to the Chinese masses very clearly, okay, these people are agents of the United States and we mustn't help them. They're our enemies. So if anything like that happened in a movement in Taiwan, um, if the movement didn't go down a socialist direction, but went down a liberal direction, went down an, just an anti-Chinese direction and a pro-US direction, it would be doomed. You know, um, it wouldn't achieve anything. It would it, All it could achieve would be to, to, to just push it more in America's sphere of influence. That would obviously... Um, completely alienate it from the Chinese masses. But if on the other hand, they appealed to the Chinese masses and made it clear that they were anti-US imperialists, they were struggling for, for their liberation from capitalism. And if they said to the Chinese workers, well, you know, our enemy is the same as yours. You know, you, you also are exploited. You face poverty, you face uh, high rents, you know, extortionate housing costs. You're, you know, you're, you're treated terribly, you can't form a trade. You know, we want to help you with that. And your cause is our cause. Then they could begin to chip away at, at, at that uh, hostility that, that might be there, break that down. And in doing so, they find a very powerful ally for themselves. And if, you know, if then the Chinese regime, that might pause, give the Chinese regime, it might make them pause before intervening in any way in Taiwan militarily, because they would then worry that their own working class might rise up and oppose that because their own working class was sympathetic to the cause of the Taiwanese working class. Um, and that would obviously be very powerful uh, impetus to China not intervening, right? Um, but if the Chinese regime is very confident that its own working class supports it or is, or is going to be passive at least, then of course it, that, that is removed and, and they would be very uh, happy to intervene, at least from that point of view. Of course, they might have to consider other consequences to their actions. So, yes, that is the, the problems, the, the real problems that the Taiwanese people face are not really uh, of, 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 of the national, as I, as I mentioned, they, they actually are an independent regime. The problems that they face are of capitalism, even, even in terms of their own independence, as I've said, that's to do with capitalism, because you can't, a small country can't be independent in any serious way under capitalism, because of the domination of the world market. And the, the problems that they face are the, the problem, same problems everywhere, poverty, exploitation, uncertainty, you know, and uh, th those are not problems that can be solved by simply declaring independence at all. In fact, those problems would probably get worse. The real solution to the problems of Taiwanese workers are the same as everywhere else, which is to overthrow capitalism. But concretely in Taiwan, that has to mean um, make, you know, uh, uh, making an appeal, seeking solidarity with the Chinese working class, trying to break out of any isolation that might ensue. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's an internationalist position, essentially. That's, that's the only uh, solution to otherwise under capitalism. This problem is, like I said, it's not going to go away. The US and China are not going to suddenly make up and get along famously. <laughs> There's zero chance of that because their fundamental interests are at stake. We are faced with, under capitalism, a long period of imperialist struggle, which means proxy wars, which means uh, economic uh, instability and crisis. That's the reality of the situation under capitalism. There's, there's no alternative to that other than struggling for, for, so, for socialism.
Yeah. So I think you spelled it out well there. Um, really, yeah, I, I think it's easy for people to get caught in a either US or China perspective, but to be honest, like, <laughs> what are you really, what are we really discussing here? So, so Marxists, you know, Marx famously said like workers, workers of the world unite. It's a working class perspective. It's the workers have no country. We are not nationalists. Um, and therefore we, you know, in any conflict like this, it can be tempting to try to pick pick a side, as it were. I, I we 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 all felt that pressure uh, massively with regards to to uh, the Ukraine. Um, you know, you need we need to understand the the main enemy is U.S. imperialism. That's the strongest power. That's the strongest imperialist power. But that doesn't mean that you therefore support Russia or, in this instance, support China. Um, so yeah, we need to as you as you laid out there, we need to to. Uh, to put to use the class question, I think to cut across this and really working class people in Taiwan, I think, as you said, and working class people in China and working class people in America, you know, we're internationalists. We're building, like I said, you're listening to this podcast. We're building the international Marxist tendency. We have, we have comrades all over the world. We have sections all over the world. And yeah, the internationalist position is to, you want to weaken if people are worried in Taiwan are worried about China, the best way to weaken Chinese imperialism and the Chinese regime is to appeal to the working class in China, which I think that China is a rising capitalist power with feet of clay. It's got the largest working class in the country that is hyper exploited. And, and that is uh, a mass could be potentially and will become a massive progressive force in the world if channeled towards a socialist change, liberation, as the Russian working class was um, when led by the Bolsheviks in 1917. The, the liberation of the oppressed nationalities was uh, was quite amazing, um, as we've discussed elsewhere. So yeah, really, that's what's needed here. Uh, it's workers of the world unite. It's an internationalist position. Uh, it's a revolutionary position as well. It's not a diplomatic haggling with one imperialist power or another for rights, which as you've said it earlier on is the, the rights of the, of the small nationalities are just small change in the big struggle for imperialist of the imperialist powers for profits, for spheres of influence. And that is precisely what is happening with Taiwan. Um, so yeah, I guess with that being said, we'll end it off here. Um, like I said, we are the inter international Marxist tendency. If you are listening to this podcast and you're interested in these ideas uh, and you and you want to get involved, you can find us online. Uh, our website in Canada is marxist.ca. Our French website is marxist.qc.ca. And uh, our international website is marxist.com. Please join us. These ideas do not... Uh, they don't, they don't uh, change the world sitting there on a piece of paper or on a podcast. They take humans, they take people like you and me, uh, like all of us, to fight for a Marxist perspective uh, uh, today in this world against the barbarism of imperialist war, imperialist conflict. Um, so, yeah, please uh, get in touch with us. Get involved in the fight for a socialist world, a socialist future uh, in our lifetimes. You have been listening to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, where we analyze the events of the class struggle, the turbulence and polarization brought upon by the crisis of the capitalist system in order to prepare activists for the coming revolutionary events so that we can fight back and build socialism in our lifetime. You can find us at marxist.ca and we will be doing this podcast every week, so we hope that you tune in again.